In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. The battle lines are drawn in the fight for Buckhead. I truly believe that we will be on the ballot November 8th, 2022. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Greg Bluestein, your host, one of the political insiders here at the AJC. Before we begin, a quick reminder to subscribe to the podcast. And boy, do we have a packed podcast for you today. Later, our political insider columnist, Patricia Murphy, will join me with our update on the 2022 governor race and Senate race. We were both with Brian Kemp, David Perdue, Herschel Walker, Gary Black, with them all earlier this week. But first, we have a lot to dig into in the battle over Buckhead. The man leading the charge to pull away from Atlanta had a lot to say at a huge fundraiser. On the same day, Mayor Andre Dickens got a standing ovation in the Georgia House chamber. So to break down where things stand, the boys are back. Our Inside City Hall team of Will Nobles and J.D. Capilouto. You guys have both upgraded your audio setups. It's very impressive. Hello. This makes me What's very up? happy. <laughs> Credit to our great producer, Jay. There you go. Jay Black comes through. Now, okay, let's start with you, J.D. So you covered both the Pro Atlanta event fundraiser a few weeks ago and the Pro Buckhead fund. And the Pro Buckhead fundraiser this week. What were the biggest differences between the two? Because I'm curious. I didn't. I didn't make this week's event. So yeah, so yeah, that, that Greg, that's a great question. I guess the the main difference, the message of the first fundraiser, which was the committee for United Atlanta, um, it was really to give Andre Dickens a chance and and unite the city uh, and saying that that they have a mayor that's willing to listen to them. And Mayor Dickens, who was Mayor Elect Dickens at that time, actually showed up and and uh, you know kind of it, it was this energy of, of the cavalry has arrived, I believe is, is a quote that, that was said that night. Last night, it was really an, a more of this energy of they've, they felt like they've been in this fight for a long time for the past year or so. Remember, the Buckhead City Committee got started way before all of the groups trying to keep Atlanta together. And, and so they had a little bit more of, of the infrastructure already set up before the other group. And so there was a vibe last night of just being frustrated with the city and, and uh, you know, wanting to, to do more uh, about crime and and this message of let us vote. They really just want a, a vote on the ballot uh, and a referendum on Buckhead cityhood um, and, and a vibe that they honestly don't want to give Mayor Dickens a chance. I think one of the uh, uh, senators last night said, you know, I'm good. I, I'm tired of, of broken promises from Atlanta City Hall, essentially. So really difference, uh, differences in tones at both events, I would say. One was a little more hopeful and let's come together. And one was, you know, the one last night uh, was just more and more frustrated with, with what the city's done. And I'd imagine, J.D., the makeup is very different, too. At the first event, 
We saw some corporate power brokers. We saw a lot of famous Atlanta last names. We saw the Turner family. A lot of CEOs were there. Some wanted to be quoted, some didn't. And we saw a lot of Democratic lawmakers who actually represent the city of Atlanta. From the pictures I saw, the event you went to this week, multiple state senators were there who all support Buckhead cityhood, but not a, not a single one of right. them represents Buckhead or the city of Atlanta. Yep. J- Jeff Mullis, the Senator Jeff Mullis actually introduced himself and said, I'm Jeff Mullis and I'm from nowhere near here. And it kind of listed Laos. And I think it might've been a nod at kind of the fact that- And he's not. He's know. from this district on the border of Tennessee. It's border, he's yeah. based in Chickamauga. So he's yeah. hundreds of miles away. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I don't know if that was kind of poking fun at, at that argument. I don't really know. But um, yeah, you're right. At, at the other event as well, there were a lot of, you know, there were, I think, four city council members, you know, local folks who represent Atlanta saying this is really what Atlanta is. Um, last night, it wasn't wasn't quite the same vibe. There were some, obviously, some Buckhead residents um, and some some business owners. It was held at a restaurant in Buckhead. So it's not like there was no one from Buckhead there. Um, but in terms of the the support from, uh, you know, powerful officials, it was it was these state officials who are not from Atlanta. And Will, this group also announced uh, some pretty big news. They're going to put forward a uh, super PAC, an outside group that can raise a lot of money to support lawmakers who have um, who, who've joined the cityhood effort. So they can help sponsor challengers to any of the Atlanta Democrats who oppose them. They can also, of course, benefit, give money to, to lawmakers who support their cause. Yeah, this is going to be a really interesting thing to keep our eyes on. Just because, as J.D. mentioned earlier, um, a lot of the folks in the legislature who are supporting uh, the cityhood movement, or at least the bill to give uh, Buckhead folks the right to vote for cityhood, um, by by and large, they're not from Atlanta, right? They're not Atlanta residents, not Atlanta lawmakers. And, um, you know, I was speaking to Michael Leo Owens today, who's a political scientist at Emory University, and uh, he, he sort of gave uh, Mayor Dickens props for being present at the legislature and uh, speaking with these folks and telling them, you know, how would you feel if I came to your neck of the woods and started trying to uh, shake sh- shake stuff up and, uh, you know, uh, make changes in, in a place where I'm not from or I don't represent? So, um, you know, uh, and if, if you ask me, being visible and present is half the battle in Atlanta's fight against Buckhead Cityhood. And so far, it looks like uh, uh, Atlanta Mayor Deacon, Andre Dickens, is waging a, a, a very good campaign in that regard. Let's get let's get right to that, because I'm glad you mentioned that, because earlier that day, earlier Monday morning, Andre Dickens was invited to address the House by Speaker Ralston. And, and this was no small feat. I mean, it, you know, it sounds it sounds strange, but in, in the parlance of state legislature, of, of the Georgia legislature, being asked to walk down the center aisle is a big deal reserved for the likes of Ray Charles and governors and state Supreme Court justices and, and celebrities. And the fact that Speaker Ralston asked him to walk down the middle aisle, he got a standing ovation. And before Mayor Dickens spoke, the speaker related a story about one of their f- first real conversations. It happened shortly after, just hours really, after Andre Dickens won the mayoral election. I said, why in the world are you calling me? You should be headed toward a vacation or something. He he had a million things to do. He had just won an election the night before. He uh, he said, because I want you to know how much I want to work with the House of Representatives to move this state and this city forward. And uh, that meant a lot to me, and I appreciate your doing that. 
I figure we're going to disagree on politics or policies from time to time, um, but um, I think that we're going to be civil and respectful, and uh, I'm just honored that he is here with us today. So I hope you'll join with me in giving a warm welcome to the 61st Mayor of Atlanta, Mayor Andre Dickens. And after that ovation, Andre Dickens makes it clear he comes in peace. I don't take this moment for granted, so as I'm speaking, I'm still taking it all in. I'm breathing in this awesome responsibility that you have and being very careful with the one that I've been given. I'm the mayor of Atlanta now, and um, I'm grateful. And I want to have the best relationship with this body that you could ever have with the mayor. That's from the sincere bottom of my heart. That's my goal. You know, well, it wasn't just Democrats who were giving the ovation. It wasn't just Democrats waiting in long lines to take a, a picture with Mayor Dickens. It's Republicans, too. And to me, that spoke volumes. I mean, I, I wrote a, a jolt piece about um, the three different standing ovations that, that shook up the Capitol that day. And this was the first of those three. And it, to me, at least, it sent the signal that, hey, you know, this thing, this legislation might sail through in, in the Georgia Senate. It might, it might have the Republican votes necessary to pass the Georgia Senate. We've already talked about the Butch Miller and Jeff Mullis and these very powerful Republican state senators who back it. But it's notable that very few Republican state House members have been pushing this. And the Speaker has remained decidedly neutral uh, in a way that's, <laughs> that's, that's very loud to, to, to veteran observers of the state capitol. A hundred percent. And so, you know, we're looking at Mayor Dickens, who uh, we're basically talking about a, a 47 year old guy who is now um, the, the newest powerhouse in uh, Georgia politics among Democrats. And so it makes sense in many ways for him to be um, working across the aisle and interacting with folks um, in the legislature. Again, going back to what I was uh, interacting with Dr. Owens earlier, you know, um, Dickens can't turn a blind eye to what the legislature is doing, because uh, I hate to make this slippery slope argument, but who's to say that if um, these folks who aren't from Atlanta, who's to say if they create uh, legislation to make buckets of your thing, who's to say they're going to stop there? What if they try to carve up Atlanta in, in other ways? And so it makes sense for uh, Mayor Dickens to be interacting with all these different lawmakers, and uh, we'll see uh, how that goes. So far, it looks like he's uh, forming uh, good relationships with people out there. And, you know, when I spoke to the mayor last week uh, by phone, he told me that he realizes that uh, there will be times when he has disagreements with some lawmakers, but as long as they focus on policy and not personality, then they can uh, hopefully find the middle ground somewhere. And J.D., he takes this responsibility seriously. He staked his mayorship on it. Yeah, and it's actually funny. I, I called Wilborn the morning after the election and also told him that he should go on a vacation. <laughs> <laughs> Did you call him at 730 then? <laughs> A little bit after that, um, no, but but yeah, you're you're so right because speaking about those that that call as uh, Speaker Ralston mentioned it, I remembered that morning and how he said I I caught up with him that day and asked him you know what's on his to do list and he said well I already called these state officials like he led with that he knew immediately as soon as he was elected mayor how much power they would have um, and and you're seeing that kind of now play out um, possibly in a good way for him given you know the reception he got in the state house and um 
you know, the kind of uh, favor that, that Jeff Duncan did to that cause when he relayed that bill to the Urban Affairs Committee. Um, and you're right, this is going to define the early part of his uh, tenure as mayor. Uh, you know, it probably it could define his entire tenure as mayor, depending on where it goes and what happens. Um, and, and he's aware of that. And th- that's something that I get uh, whenever uh, he, he makes a, an appearance or talks about it. I think he, I, uh, he spoke at the Georgia Municipal Association breakfast yesterday as well. And I was there and he said that someone asked him before he spoke if he was going to talk about Buckhead. And his response was, yes, of course, that's all I talk about nowadays. Of course, I'm going to talk about it. Um, So it's something that that they're very aware of at City Hall as well, kind of the stakes of this whole thing. Okay, well, now the late Monday afternoon, a few hours after Andre Dickens' big ovation, big reception at the state legislature, uh, about 250 supporters of the Buckhead Cityhood movement gathered for a fundraiser at Bistro Nico, which... CEO Bill White says raised a quarter of a million dollars. This is audio that JD got, and it's the only place you're hearing it. Our plan is battle-tested, ironclad, and it can withstand the absolute BS misinformation that's coming from the city of Atlanta any day of the week. As long as, as long as you all, as long as you all can help us. We're going to get this thing done. And because of the courageous leadership of the senators and assemblymen and the leadership of those two houses and our governor, I truly believe that we will be on the ballot November 8th, 2022. Now, J.D. was rolling his microphone while Bill White announced the formation of a political action committee to raise funds for this fight. It's going to do two things. Very simple. It's going to support the intrepid elected officials who stand up to this corruption in Atlanta and give us the opportunity to simply vote. That is going to be mission number one. Mission number two is that we are going to back Buckhead City candidates for Buckhead residents. So if you're going to be in our assembly or you're going to be in our Senate serving Buckhead, we want you to be a Buckhead City candidate. So we're going to be backing Buckhead City candidates to fill those positions starting right about now. So, J.D., this is how politics works. (laughs) I know it seems (laughs) steamy and and dirty, and and it might be, but this is also, you know, the the pro-Atlanta folks are – are, are probably also giving money, if not forming a super PAC yet, but giving money to candidates who, who support their their views. So this is just how it goes in state politics. But look, this is a major effort. And right now it's really interesting because um, one of the reasons why I, su- I suspect Governor Kemp is still staying on the sidelines is he's probably raising money from both sides. <laughs> he's probably mm. raising money from pro-Atlanta and pro-Buckhead folks um, rather than kind of uh, Why make him. enemies, right? Yeah. Makes sense. Why make enemies? But I'm curious. So there was a bunch of state senators there. Were there any other elected officials at, at this event you were at? Not that I can think of right now. Vernon Jones was there, a uh, gubernatorial candidate and former uh, House of uh, former state representative. Mm-hmm. Um, I and former DeCaps chief executive. Former DeCaps CEO. Yes. Um, but I didn't see no uh, no city council members, of course. Um, Nothing else. Uh, no other elected officials that I can think of. And and yeah, it it uh you know that was the big news of the night about the pack. Um, now that I think about it, it's not not too surprising. Um, you know, given like you said, that's you know 
how money in politics works. One thing that's um, interesting about that is that they will, you know, PACs registered in Georgia have to share more about, you know, where they're getting money from and who they're giving it to um, than, than strictly the nonprofit uh, that's formed right now, the Buckhead City Committee. Um, they're kind of shielded as a private nonprofit from having to disclose m- many details about their donors or their expenses. So as a, a journalist who cares about transparency, I'm personally looking forward to, you know, kind of seeing where those donations go. Um, and yeah, you, you know, you heard in that first clip, Bill's kind of message about, you know, their goal right now is just to get on the ballot. Um, and, you know, he mentioned that their plans being ironclad. I'm sure that, you know, city officials, APS officials, um, other, uh, you know, folks who, who don't agree with, with this, uh, you know, plan are, uh, would disagree with that. They, they say there's lots of issues, lots of unanswered questions with the plan. Um, so I'll just mention that. But um, yeah, that would that was the, the general vibe is, is just uh, pushing for for the referendum. Now, if that was um, Bill White's focus, his message was also a lot about crime. We are going to get crime under control with 250 police. They will be the highest paid police officers in the state of Georgia. They will have a take home vehicle. You will be seeing police driving to and from the barber shop, the bagel shop, the movie theater. There's not going to be any time or place to commit crime in Buckhead because you're going to be fuzzy seeing the Chevy Tahoe go by every two seconds with cops in it who are going to be empowered to arrest people, prosecute them, and send them to jail. Well, that is uh, that's quite the promise. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> saying that, hey, uh, criminals will stop at the border of Buckhead and, and that somehow the policing will be that aggressive that, you know, it will pretty much end <laughs> all, 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 all sorts of crime whatsoever uh, once they cross that invisible boundary. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, first of all, um, cops, I don't think cops can prosecute people. I think that's the courts. So that's yeah, the thing. That's <laughs> but uh, no, again, obviously, uh, Mr. White is the guy is sharp, right? He's very charismatic. He, he knows how to work a crowd. Um, and Mayor Dickens is very aware of that. You know, uh, a few weeks ago when he had his round table with, with reporters at city hall, he pointed out this uh, Buckhead city committee is led by a guy who is really sharp and we have to have sharp people as well. We have to have our own campaign in the city of Atlanta that has a uh, money behind it to support, you know, um, the city's campaign literature. And, you know, they're going to have to create yard signs and flyers and mailers, whatever they can do to, um, again, address the information that Bill White is putting out uh, to, you know, to Bill White's point, he says he's trying to address misinformation. Well, the city, <laughs> right, says the same thing. They want to put out uh, good information to show what it, how uh, a new city would affect them in, in terms of like financial impact and what have you. So I think as we go forward, we're going, especially uh, if the uh, legislature passes and if Governor Kemp signs a, a referendum bill, uh, we're going to see this year a lot of public information out there from uh, both sides about uh, what cityhood means. And it's going to be our job and everyone's job uh, in the media to try and um, understand what's what's fact and what's fiction. Yeah. And, and J.D., that's exactly the sort of rhetoric about about not just combating crime, but defeating crime that's energizing some of the Republican sponsors. You you mentioned this clip earlier. I just want to play it because this is State Senator Jeff Mullis, one of the most powerful Republicans in the Georgia legislature. He chairs the the Rules Committee, which decides the day's calendar. It says what bills get to get a vote on, what, what bills do not get a vote on. 
Um, he also represents, as we said earlier, a district way up near the border of Tennessee, beautiful area, um, Chickamauga. Let's listen. Today, when the uh, new mayor came in, and we're supposed to give him a chance, well, I walked out the door and I turned my back on him because I'm tired of giving people who only talk the talk and not walk the walk. And the people of uh, Buckhead, the city, city deserves more than that. So let, let me uh, tell you another thing. Bill covered it earlier about the precinct and his uh, so-called chief of staff getting arrested and how he voted to unfund the police when he was a city council member and how um, he's planning on making a difference. Well, I just don't see that. I don't see that. I think you ought to be in charge of your own destiny and you make the difference. So that's why I'm here supporting you. Even though my district's on Lookout Mountain and south of Chattanooga, Tennessee, that they're actually in the wrong state, but we're not going there. But we just want their water. Wow. Wow, J.D., that is, that is pretty strong rhetoric. I didn't realize he had turned his back. He basically walked out on, because I was in the Georgia, I was in the House, not in the Senate when, when the speech happened, but I didn't know he walked out on Mayor Dickens. Yeah. Yeah, pretty pretty strong strong words there. I mean, dude's on his twenty second day of the job, um, so <laughs> kind of hard to to say that he's not walking the walk. But yeah, that that's kind of that, that kind of gives you the sense of, of where they're coming from here. Of really, they're they're not they're not waiting to see whether he makes a difference on this. Um, yeah, man, this is oh wow, this is my first time hearing that. That's a good get, JD. And I mean, man, I'm, to your point, I mean. Dickens just started, right? Like it, I don't even think it's been a, a month since he's been mayor yet. We're we're getting to that uh, anniversary date, but yeah, I mean, he told he told folks a while ago. You know, he in his words, he's working himself to death to try and serve uh, the city. So, um, I mean, it's just rough with crime. It, it obviously crime is the main concern for everybody, and uh, I'm personally kind of sensitive to seeing the way uh, lawmakers are kind of politicizing what's really affecting people's like actual lives, right? Like people are, are dying. And so it's, it's a sensitive subject. You know, I, I don't envy any of the folks involved in trying to like make, make the city safer. And, and JD and Will, before we go, tell us what is coming up in the next Inside the City Hall newsletter from the AJC. Yeah, so we'll be breaking down the latest developments in City Hall politics. This will be a big part of it, obviously, a big week um, for Mayor Dickens um, and and these comments kind of about uh, his leadership, um, as well as, you know, the challenges he's dealing with with gun violence continuing. Uh, we, you know, six month old shot and killed yesterday kind of presents a, a fresh challenge for him in terms of turning this uh, tide of violent crime around. Yeah, and to JD's point, I mean, it was really... Um kind of surprising to me when we received the news today that um, just uh, maybe less than 24 hours after uh, this this young boy was was killed, um, Atlanta police made an arrest for the person who allegedly shot the child or, or shot the bullet that killed the child. So yeah, this is going to be challenging for, for Dickens to continue to address crime. And we are going to be paying attention to what he does to address crime as well as who he's hiring, right? He still needs to make some new hires in his administration. And as he's doing that, we want to know which folks uh, he plans to put uh, at the legislature to um, basically advocate against cityhood during the sessions. Catch the Inside City Hall newsletter every Monday morning. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.
Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. Now, as we have promised, we want Politically Georgia to be your go-to podcast during this campaign season. And right now, I'm here with political insider columnist Patricia Murphy to talk about the latest on the campaign season. Patricia, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Greg. Hello. So we spent a couple hours yesterday together at the Faith and Freedom annual luncheon at the Georgia State Capitol, really right outside the Georgia State Capitol at the depot, where we got to hear in sort of a candidate cattle call from... Vernon Jones, from Governor Kemp, from Senator David Perdue, from Herschel Walker, from Gary Black, and from candidates for lieutenant governor as well. So it was a it was a rapid fire. What was your biggest takeaway? My biggest takeaway was that huge, huge ovation um, that Governor Brian Kemp got when he walked up to the stage. He actually had to walk back down because he was introduced at the wrong time. So then they brought him up on the stage again. Um, He got multiple standing ovations. And this is, of course, a pro life, anti abortion, extremely conservative crowd, a lot of grassroots activists a lot of grassroots leaders as well. And this is the exact group that David Perdue sees his lane in. These are all very pro Donald Trump supporters. But I mean, Brian Kemp got, there was just no mistaking the incredible approval, appreciation and support for him in that room. Um, And David Perdue spoke before. And you looked at me, you're like, are we going to call that a smattering of applause? You know, it was just sort of kind of like polite and kind of meh for David Perdue. But for Brian Kemp, it was just like hoots and hollers and just unbelievable. And so that was my big, big takeaway. I think we did settle on the the word smattering, which is a fun word to say. But yeah, that was (laughs) that was the best way to describe David Perdue's. And you're right. This was this seemed to me I've been to many GOP events of the last year. Um, many events where some, at least some events where, where Brian Kemp, Governor Kemp was booed by a grassroots crowd. I didn't think this would be one where he got booed, but I also thought this was going to be more of the event where he gets polite applause, he gets respectful applause, and that's it. And that David Perdue would have a, um, you know, more of a, a, a fit. But it was not that. It was not. And, and despite David Perdue bringing up his Donald Trump endorsement, despite David Perdue talking about, in his words, what an embarrassment the 2020 election was, despite him talking about how he could, he's the only one who, in the Republican Party who can beat Stacey Abrams, it was a, a tepid reaction. And it was a reminder to me, at least, that, you know, sometimes your assumptions in Georgia politics don't quite live up to, uh, to their billing. 
Yeah, that's so true. And it also really reminded me that David Perdue has never been the culture warrior among the GOP. He was always in the business lane, the Chamber of Commerce guy, the beautiful tailored suits when he wasn't wearing his jean jacket on the campaign trail, you know, a CEO. The famous um, jean jacket. Yes, the famous jean jacket. And I always wonder what happens to it between campaign stops. Um, but uh, he it, this this was not the kind of crowd that he used to deliver for. He was always the um, you know the eggs and issues. He was the um, chamber of commerce. He was um, just a very um, pro business anti-China. Those were always the issues we heard him talk about. So for him, to hear him leaning into um, these culture issues just doesn't, to me, it just doesn't feel like a great fit. And it just didn't land with that audience. Um, and you compare that to Brian Kemp. He went up, had a you know a lengthy uh, prepared speech, talked a lot about what he sees as his achievements in office. Um, but a lot of that are culture issues and culture war issues, um, guns, abortion. Um, those are the types of things he's always leaned into. And so at this phase of the campaign in front of this group, it just felt like a very natural fit. And I think that's uh, partially what that response was. And of course, he delivered to that crowd maybe the biggest item on their wish list in 2018, at least, which was a, a one of the strictest bans on abortion in the nation. Of course, that got held up in the courts, um, but that was that was a major wish list for the evangelical crowd. And another takeaway that I had was Ralph Reed, the the founder of the Christian Coalition, the former candidate for lieutenant governor, um, you know, the 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 former head of the Georgia GOP, uh, a, a big national player in the evangelical movement, going up on stage and just quite literally gushing over over Brian Kemp, um, t- t- calling him a stand up guy for not caving to the profits of moderation and and others who would want him to kind of move to the middle to try to beat Stacey Abrams in November instead by sticking to his again sticking to his guns on the, on the right flank of the party um you know and 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 it wasn't an endorsement but those were glowing words from someone who's 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 still very very powerful and very important in the 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 world of Christian conservatism He's very important. And let's just think for a minute what it means for Ralph Reed to provide this incredible platform for Governor Kemp. Uh, Ralph Reed did not introduce David Perdue. He did invite him, um, but it was not it, it was not at all the same kind of red carpet reception that was uh, rolled out for Governor Kemp. And Governor Kemp is Donald Trump's sworn enemy. And Ralph Reed is just a huge figure on the religious right. And so for him to provide this platform and then give that introduction, which was just unmistakably glowing. It He talked about how long he had known Brian Kemp, how authentically conservative he is, how he's known him since his first state Senate race, um, and was has always fought for life issues, always fought for conservatives. Um, it, you could, it couldn't have been. It, it's, the, it's the type of um, speech you would get from somebody introducing you at your own kind of victory speech. <laughs> That's really what it felt like to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is a real break for uh, Ralph Reed and for a big conservative leader um, against Donald Trump. And it kind of tells me that everything that Donald Trump says is are not necessarily the exact marching orders uh, the way uh, that people are going to be um, receiving them right now. Yeah, I, I still kind of view this race as my own perspective as a toss-up, but it'll be interesting to see whether or not Trump's 
approval ratings, whether his influence is, is on the wane in Georgia. Um, the other re- interesting Ralph Reed-related moment, that's a lot of R's, um, was his endorsement. He did outright endorse Herschel Walker. I mean, he said he wanted Herschel Walker to win the U.S. Senate seat in November. And this came a few minutes after Walker's biggest Republican rival, Gary Black, the agriculture commissioner, went up and, and gave uh, a, a speech that was tailor-made for that crowd. He cited the Bible. He talked about his evangelical roots and, and his support for 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 anti-abortion legislation and other other issues that were right up right up that group's alley. Um, well, Herschel Walker was the only person on only only candidate on stage to kind of get this treatment. He not only did he get endorsed outright, but he also had this weird setup where they both were sitting in like giant plush chairs as they talked to each other, as Ralph Reed and Herschel Walker talked to each other about issues. And Herschel Walker's message was not exactly the same as the rest. He talked at least some of his speech about the need for bipartisanship, for crossing party lines. He said, an open hand is better than a closed fist. It's a line that he's been giving at various campaign events lately. So it was, you know, we've heard that a lot. We've written about how he's trying to kind of stay above the fray and 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 have this more conciliatory message. Um, but to me, still in that crowd, it was it was not quite what I expected. It's not what I expected either. I have to be honest with you. And um, even the setup with the with the interview format with Ralph Reed, it was so different from the other candidates who had to go up and just give a traditional campaign speech. And it, so it seemed really designed to um, make Herschel Walker comfortable, to uh, provide a setting where he would do well. Um, and I mean, listen, he did not really get into issues. He certainly did not deliver like a fiery red meat speech that you would think um, a candidate for Senate in a GOP primary specifically um, would give to this crowd. Nonetheless, there was this huge crowd of women in the back, um, all sort of elbowing each other to get video of, of him giving his speech. I mean, they actually didn't seem to even care what he was saying. They just were so excited to see him. Um, and so I will be just be so fascinated to see how this um, how this translates to a primary. He got a huge ovation. People, they're sort of like crackling with excitement. They're like, oh my gosh, Herschel Walker's here. You know, here's Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker's on stage. And, you know, people were just craning their necks to see him. Um, and I want to see how that manifests itself during this campaign. Right now, he is just miles ahead of the other candidates on fundraising. The early polls had him, especially with his name ID, just light years ahead of the other three. Um, but the other three are are real solid candidates. They have backgrounds and experience and stories to tell um, and conservative values to share with um, with the GOP audiences that will listen to them. And so um, that's a dynamic that I'm going to be really watching carefully over time. Um, it's not the longest primary season in the world. It's coming up in May. Um, so we'll see what see how much those other three can make the use of their time. And the other three are the subjects of your next column. And, and let's start with, with Gary Black, because of, of all the other th- Republican Senate candidates. He's the one with the highest name recognition. He's the one with proven electoral experience. He's won statewide several times. And he's also the one who's been sharpest when it comes to Herschel Walker. He didn't throw any barbs Herschel Walker's way at the Faith and Freedom Coalition luncheon, but in interviews and on the radio, he certainly has. Here's Gary Black on the John Fredericks radio show just the other day. Our party's alive. Uh, they're, they're, they, they see uh, the difference in 
someone who's delivered, uh, someone with experience, uh, someone who's earned their trust, and the difference in a wind-up toy. I, you know, I'm uh, I won't be the senator that's going to put the team together to serve Georgia, and I, I, I can tell you right now, Georgians are not interested at all in having, uh, you know, voting for a staff that has to get up every morning and put their senator together. Ooh, harsh words. I mean, he said a lot of other harsh things in the past, too. He said basically that Herschel Walker's past disqualifies him. So he feels like he's got a chance at winning this race if he can just eke into that runoff and make it a head-to-head battle. He's got a lot of endorsements, including from the likes of former Governor Nathan Deal. Um, he's trailing in the money department, but that's not unexpected. And he's probably trailing by a long shot in the name recognition department. But he feels like he's the authentic conservative in this race and the proven vote getter. Yeah, it really feels like a three-way race for that number two spot. And can the three of them amongst themselves keep Herschel Walker under 50%? I mean, that's always the strategy for anybody who's not, who's coming in, you know, who's uh, not leading in a race. You always want to get into the runoff. Um, but, you know, crazy things can happen in a runoff. And that's absolutely the strategy for all three of these guys. Um, and then uh, the other strategy is just to grind it out. They're trying to get in front of every audience they can. They say yes to everything. I saw Latham Sadler up in Oconee County on Monday night. Um, you know, listen, it was dark when he got there. It was darker when he left. Um, it wasn't a gigantic crowd, but he was there until the very end, shaking hands, answering questions, introducing himself. Um, they've just got to get their name IDs up with these, especially with these activist GOP um, grassroots voters. And um, it's the, it's the, that's the first order of business is to make sure people know who they are so that then they can make a choice between Herschel Walker and them. That's their goal. And um, we'll see. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, between the three of them, that's three people competing for um, airtime and attention, while Herschel Walker just seems to sort of like vacuum it all up um, just by getting out of bed. Yeah, yeah. And, and holding, as we wrote in an AJC story just a few days ago, holding very, very few public events, even fewer media interviews. Most, A lot of his interviews have had to do with football. Um, a lot of them have come on friendly outlets. More than half of them have come with out-of-state outlets. Uh, we're talking about Fox News. We're talking about ESPN as well. And all the while, he's been giving a lot of private speeches, um, including about $100,000, thousand dollars worth of private speeches since entering the race in August. So that is something that, that Herschel Walker will continue to deal with. And that is a story that we'll be continuing to follow as the next few months unfold. Before we go, though, we want to tell you about some of the offerings from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution Podcast Network. The Hawks are undefeated. They're 4-0 since our beat reporter Sarah Spencer debuted her new podcast, The Hawks Report. And I'm actually paying attention to them again, too, even though I'm still on the uh, Georgia and Braves highs. Now it's one of the top basketball podcasts in the country. Yes, you heard that right. Sarah Spencer's podcast is one of the top basketball podcasts in the country. And I've heard, this is serious, number two in all of UK. So, Jay, that's right, right? Well, well, it was for a day, but uh, but yes, there is some... Um, Take your win. It, it, your is, win. It, is, it is international. I think we're now on in 20 countries uh, with the Hawks Report. Wow, that's uh, unreal. And that, that's for a podcast that just started uh, like uh, two weeks ago. Uh, so catch the second episode this week with play-by-play man Bob Rathbun, who's seen it all. Also in sports, coming up later this week, Doug Robertson breaks down Atlanta United's first friendly on Southern Fried Soccer. 
Our Falcons writer, D. Orlando Ledbetter, D. Led, starts his draft prep on the Bowtie Chronicles and on Access Atlanta catch a candid conversation with blues musician Tinsley Ellis. Patricia, Jay, thank you so much, as always, for joining us. Jay, for the hard work behind the scenes producing this podcast. I invite you all to continue to listen, share, review, give us feedback. We love hearing from you about what topics five stars. Five stars is good. And five stars is always good. And uh, thank you for listening, and we will see you Friday. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.